Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Lights and Sirens podcast with your host, Bernie Robinson. If you joined us for episode one, you heard my story, bits and pieces of my story. And I thought, you know, before I get into bringing on guests, which I have plenty of guests lined up to uh, tell their stories, I had some more things I needed to share. So let's take it back. Like I told you before, I started in EMS, uh, 18-year-old kid, fresh out of high school, learned how to, uh, went to EMT school at the request of my father, who is now a retired FDNY EMS lieutenant. You'll hear more about that later. Um, Came out of class and got a job right out the gate. All right, so I worked at a company which is now closed, but um, back then it was known as Metropolitan Ambulance Company. Um, over the years, it became, a, you know, different formations of that company came about, which ended up becoming TransCare, which was pretty much a large um, EMS provider in this region. And then ultimately, due to some uh, bad business dealings, I guess, that company just abruptly closed uh, back in, I believe, February 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And um, about a 1,000 people lost their job overnight. You know, they were, like, out on calls and then all turned, called to our return to base, and that was it. Doors were locked. So one day I'm looking forward to having some guests on to tell us about that whole situation, what that was like. Um, but I did, like I said, I worked there back in the old days, right? So we're talking... 1989, 1990, I was there. Um, interesting, interesting job, interesting time. At that time, that company was strictly transport. So, you know, your nursing home discharges, your facility-to-facility facility kind of things, um, discharges home. You know, pretty much those were the, those were the calls that uh, we did, which were fine for somebody starting out as an EMT. Um, at that time... It was, I was the EMT and I was assigned a driver who was not an EMT. So here I am, a 19 year old kid, first time in an ambulance, and I have a guy who's a driver, right? <laughs> so that was very interesting. Um, and, you know, I'm in charge, right? So I'm, I'm a 19 year old kid, I'm in charge. This guy's probably 10 years old than me. And um, I had one partner at the time, I worked ambulance 195. And I had a partner, I won't say his name, but um, he was a very, very uh, interesting character, let's just say. And I recall, one of the things I recall is um, every Friday night, we would um, end up in Upper Manhattan for a call. Usually we'd go to Mount Sinai, which I think is up uh, like 101 Street or something like that um, in Madison, We'd end up at that hospital pretty much like clockwork at the end of the shift on Friday nights around 6 or 7 p.m. Um, and then we'd come back from the base, and this partner would say, um, hey, what's my magic number? Over the radio. He'd pick up the radio mic, say, hey, guys, what's my magic number? And then a few minutes later, dispatch would come over. Hey, your number's 8. I don't know what that means. I'm, you know, I'm just writing in my paperwork or whatever I'm doing, listening to the radio as we're heading back to base. And every week we'd pull over on one, 
I think 116th Street, somewhere like that in East Harlem. He would put on a camouflage jacket, disappear for about 10 minutes, and return to base. So one day, he does that, and I'm looking. I don't know what's going on. And we're heading on the Brooklyn Bridge, and he starts he starts to put this package in my EMT bag. So I'm like, what are you doing? What is that? And later on, I found out that um, he was making, let's just say, pickups for certain people back at the garage. And the magic number was the number of packages that people needed for their recreational activities. Um, so that was uh, definitely you know, eye-opening experience as a kid working on an ambulance that that was something that happened. And um, this particular partner had a lot of crazy experiences like that with this guy. One night, we were behind the base somewhere in Canarsie, somewhere, and um, he picked up a prostitute. And for some reason, we were working late that night. He pulls over somewhere behind some alley, jumps in the back of the ambulance. Once again, I'm just reading or listening to my Walkman at the time. And um, the ambulance starts bouncing up and down. I'm like, okay, um, this is interesting, you know. Um, <laughs> so I look in the back. I'm like, bro, you all right back there? But, uh, yeah, he was okay. He was okay, you know, finished what he was doing and uh, went on about his. We finished up the shift, went back for base again. I also had my first uh, cardiac arrest um, at this company with this same partner, okay? So I already told you, you know, the kind of things he was doing. Um, I'd actually recall one time having to, he, every, every house we went to, he would always have to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, bro, every, every house we go in, what, you know, what is that? Whatever. That's him. I don't know. Um, so one time he came out, and I literally had to tell him, dude, you, you have to go back in there and wipe off your nose because you have white stuff all around your nose. Um, then the light bulb went off. Like, okay, now I know what the problem is here. This is why he's, you know, so hyper and erratic. Um, I was a little slow, but, I, you know, I caught on after a while. Um, so anyway, we go back to the... My first cardiac arrest. Now, remember, I'm like 19, maybe 20 at this time. Um, I'm in the ambulance by myself. It was late at night. We pick up this elderly female at a residence, I believe. Usually when we do that, it's because they want to go to a specific hospital that's usually further away than where the local 911 agency would take them. So they will call a, a, a proprietary of, you know, uh, ambulance service to take them the further distance. So it's an elderly man. I'm sorry. And, um, his family's there. They're crying. He's very, very sick. Um, we load him in the ambulance. Uh, we, I, I'm, you know, I got tunnel vision. I'm just looking at, Oh man, this guy's really sick. I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, my first real call here, I'm by myself. And, the family's in the back of the ambulance. I'm sitting on the bench across from the stretcher. Um, the son, I guess, was sitting where, where there's a small chair called the uh, the captain's chair that, that's right behind the driver and behind the stretcher. So he's sitting there, and I guess we had a bump. Well, I'm reaching for the oxygen mask to put on them, 
and the son smacks my hand and he's like, watch what you're doing, boy. And that right there was kind of a red flag that, okay, this call is probably going to go left. I don't know what's going on, but I'm focusing on what's going on with this patient right here. I'm going to kind of disregard that this man just referred to me as a boy. That's a whole nother street we could go down. Um, you know, but um, so now I'm calling a patient's name. He's, he's, he goes unresponsive. Um, he's barely breathing, really pale. I might have been like an end-stage kind of situation, end-stage cancer or something like that. I can't really remember that detail. But I'm I'm, treat, I'm calling out his name. I'm looking for the equipment. I'm grabbing the equipment to help him breathe. Um, he, you know, he's gone. He's out of it. And, you know, my partner is freaking out now. The family's starting to freak out in the ambulance. My partner, I told you already what his deal was. He's freaking out more. He's driving crazy to the hospital we get to the hospital and it was literally like <laughs> one of those like like a, a comedy movie or something we come bursting through the doors my partner is screaming at the top of his lungs move out the way and we're we're sprinting into the hospital with this patient the oxygen tank flies off the stretcher you know it, it's just it was a mad scene just one of those ridiculous scenes from a movie, very dramatic, over the top. We get them in, you know, we get them into the workup room. They work them up. Um, I have no idea. This whole call was a blur to me. All I know is somebody called me a boy, and I think this man might have went into cardiac arrest on us, um, and, and I was just kind of, like, froze. So now we are, I'm outside doing my paperwork, outside the, outside the room, and they're working up the patient, and... I hear this loud commotion, loud, loud commotion. And it's my partner. He's going ballistic in the emergency room. Security guards are escorting him out. I'm like, dude, what, what is going on? What happened? The daughter says to my partner, oh, you niggers killed my father. And remember I told you before, the guy said something about watch what you're doing, boy. And then top with that, that was, you know, so my partner didn't take kindly to that, and he went ballistic in the ER. And I mean, to the point where security had to come. I believe they called the police. We had to escort him out the ER. Very, very uh, chaotic scene in the ER. Um, and that, that just kind of, like, drained me. And it was, that was one of those calls that, you know, it was a deciding moment. It was like, all right, am I going to do this job or not? Because that's a kind of call that some people may quit after. Like, all right, I, I'm not dealing with this. You know, I got this crazy partner. I got um, racist family members here. And, and it just wasn't a good mix. And it just, you know, very combustible situation that definitely blew up. One night in this call, I, I will never forget. Um... Yeah, this call is one that made me truly believe that there was a such thing as God and angels, and I'll tell you why. So we're driving. We, we picked up a call for an elderly female um, in the Howard Beach area of uh, Queens. So we're driving through um, the area, bringing this lady to the hospital. She's very, very, very elderly. I'm in the back, of course, with the patient. My partner's driving. My partner, same guy, 
um, decides he needed to buy a pack of cigarettes right then and there. So he pulls the, this is like two in the morning, two, three in the morning on a summer night. He pulls the ambulance over at a bodega, um, jumps out, says, I'll be right back. Now I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? We have a patient in the ambulance. What are you doing? It's only going to be a second. I just got it. I got to get some cigarettes. There's a group of teens, I guess teenagers, young men, hanging outside the bodega. Okay? Um, he runs in. These are as a group of white males, right? He runs in, comes out. All of a sudden, he comes back to the ambulance. He's yelling and shouting and cursing, grabs a crowbar, and goes back towards the group. Now I'm like, all right, what the hell is going on here, and what is this? He's swinging the crowbar at the group. Um, they're circling around him. I'm in the back with this lady. You know, she's not in the greatest shape. And it's 3 in the morning. I, you know, I'm in the back. Once again, you're still talking. I'm, what, 19, maybe 20 again. Still my rookie year. <laughs> and um, they surrounded him. And then uh, somehow... The back doors just swung open. I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. But there's, like, this, these two giant sanitation workers in there. And I'm like, what's going on? So I explain. I'm like, listen, this lady needs to get to the hospital. I don't know what's going on with my partner, but it looks like they're about to jump him. The sanitation workers, like, three more show up and disperse the crowd, basically hold the crowd at bay while my, and tell my partner to get in the ambulance and get out of here. Um, he did just that, and we got out of there safe and sound. But I really thought at least he, if not both of us, were dead. Um, but like I said, I don't know where those garbage, where those sanitation workers came from, but they definitely saved the evening. And, you know, that's why I think I'm still here telling you the story today. So wherever they are, thank you guys very much. Um, greatly appreciate it. I had another partner later on. I, I guess I separated from that guy, you know, whatever. I got another partner who was kind of a lover boy. He was older. Everybody was older than me anyway, but this guy was older. He had a wife. He had an Ivy League wife, and he had a girlfriend that was a doctor. And I remember that his girlfriend, um, doctor girlfriend, brought him a car, cash. And that was just something I always remember. And I'm like, wow, you have a very, you know, pretty wife lovely child, young child, and, you know, Ivy League business corporate wife. You're my driver, basically, and why don't you just, like, chill out and, and you know, what are you doing? But he he was always, you know, that's not what he was about. So I remember that. Kind of a, uh, kind of a cocky guy, kind of arrogant, too. But, you know, so one day that same partner, we are at a hospital, and he... You know, we're about to leave the hospital, and there's a young lady, two young ladies at the elevator. Um, whatever reason, they were upset. It's a hospital. There's a lot of reasons why somebody would be upset at a hospital. And we pressed the button to go into the elevator. I don't know what happened, but that partner, he and one of the girls, the young ladies, get into some words as they're passing each other. And... Um, we get we finally get down the hallway, and he yells back at her. Well, you know something about 
She said something like, oh, you wish you could have this. I don't know. I guess he was trying to flirt with her, and it went south. We get down the hallway. He says something to her like, oh, you probably got AIDS anyway. And this young lady charged down the hallway, and the two of them, she starts throwing punches at him, and I'm just begging him. This guy was also very well built. I'm like, please do not hit this girl. Do not do it. And they're in a fist fight at the elevator. We're in uniform. We're working. And he is about, you know, like going almost toe to toe with some very angry young lady in the hospital. Um, We can't make these stories up. One of my favorite uh, stories from Metropolitan, my Metropolitan days. So I had another partner I'm working with. I think I was working overtime this day or whatever it was. It was probably not my day to work. So there was this one cool partner, younger guy. Um, once again, I think he was a driver, a driver at the time, and I was the EMT. But so I never drove ambulances. You know, I've never got to drive. I was always with a driver. So this particular partner, we're driving to our area, wherever, to, for the next call. Nice slow day, and he decides he needed to smoke a joint. So, you know, he tells me, you know, ask me, all right, you take the wheel. I'm going to go in the back here and, you know, light this up. Okay, are you you serious? Yeah, just, you know, all you got to do is drive, you know, down the street here. All right, no problem. Pull over, we switch seats. He goes in the back, he lights up. Um, I think he's like cracks the back door and blowing it out the door, whatever. Um, so we're driving a while. He's done. He, so now he's, I guess he's high, right? <laughs> he just smoked the joint. He gets in the front seat, the passenger seat. I'm still driving. So now I'm feeling a little confident. I've drove a great, nice little distance here. I'm, I'm pretty confident. I got this. I'm driving an ambulance. Once again, I'm probably 19, 20. I'm driving this ambulance for the first time. So we get to a light. The light starts to turn red. Um, So I I decide I'm going to take this light. I'm going to hit a little siren, you know, hit the lights, hit a little siren, and and get through the the intersection. This whole thing must have been in, like, slow motion because I I start to go through the intersection. I, I reach for the siren. I'm doing, you know, so now you're reaching for a siren. You're reaching for the lights. You're trying to pay attention. It's, it's not an easy thing. And I'm doing this, and, and I can see my partner, and the next to me just, he raises up, and he's like, no, no, stop, 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 stop. And bang, broadside collision. I brought, <laughs> we broadside somebody's car in the intersection, um, major damage to our ambulance, um, so now we're sitting there, he's sitting there, this just happened, somebody, the whole, you know when you, when you get in an accident and the horn keeps going and going and going, the, the whole scene, there's a crowd, and he's, now he's panicking, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm so dead, you know, um, I believe we may have switched seats and said he was driving, I don't know, um, there wasn't really injuries, just definitely vehicle damage, um, we went back to the base or got towed back to the base. Everybody knew the story. I, I pretty much think everybody knew what really happened. But, um, yeah, my partner had to smoke a joint, and I totaled the ambulance. So. 
Now I am about 20 years old. I've been at Metropolitan almost a year. I told you my father is a retired EMS lieutenant um, from FDNY. Now, prior to FDNY EMS, it was called Health and Hospitals. Health and Hospitals Corporation ran it. It was run by the city's um, HHC. Okay? Um, so my dad was there since then. He was there before I was born. All right? Um, so I finally apply. I get into the academy. It was an eight-week academy. I'm very excited. I'm going to join the, you know, the big leagues here, New York City EMS. And, you know, it was kind of like, wow, this is cool. I'm, I'm following the path my dad was on. I remember as a kid, you know, him bringing the ambulance by. Even he actually treated some of our friends when we were kids. One of my, of my friends I grew up with got hit by a car on our street. He responded. You know, we watched that. It was like, wow, watching your father, you know, do stuff like that. Another friend of ours on the block um, broke his wrist. They came to my house. My father fixed them up, splinted them up, you know, like he was that guy. So now it's my turn. So I get into the EMS Academy, and I'm extremely excited. You know, this is it. I'm going to be like my dad kind of and, and, and get in there and, and get into the big leagues, right, the big leagues of EMS, New York City Emergency Medical Services. So I'm in the academy. I go through academically, not a problem, great instructors, um, very tough, very strict. It was It's paramilitary, so it's like you're standing at attention when an officer walks into the room. Everyone has to stand at attention. You got to make a, a, a hole, if you will, for somebody to walk by if they're higher ranked than you. It's, it was very regimented like that, and that, I was fine with that. I love that stuff. So now the big hurdle is the EVOC course, Emergency Vehicle Operations course. You must pass this in order to graduate the academy. Um, it's like a week long you spend out there, and then the final day is testing day. You have to run through the course three consecutive times, and your average time of those courses must be six minutes. I believe it was six minutes in order for you to graduate, to pass EVOC and then graduate. Very intimidating, especially if you never actually driven an ambulance. We're on the course throughout the week going through the skills. So one day my father, he was working. He comes out and visits the EVOC course. And apparently the instructors, the EVOC instructors, didn't take too kindly to him coming out there. They must have felt he was trying to intimidate them or that, that's what I heard and, and, you know, pushed his weight around. I have no idea. I just figured it was a dad coming to see his kid in the academy. But whatever. So... Basically, they failed me out of the EVOC portion of the academy and kicked me out the academy the first time. I got right back into the second class, um, and the same thing happened again. Same instructors, and once again, I made it through everything. And this time, I was like the last week of the academy. They bounced me out again. Um, now, I have seen and heard of people not passing it, going, graduating, and then bring, being brought back to take it again and, like, remediate and, and take it and pass. But that wasn't the case with me. They kicked me out a second time. So you would think I would probably quit and go and try something else and give up. But, nope, I went to the third class. This is the third consecutive academy class that I went into. Same instructors. Well, here we go again, right? 
past the academics, no problem, great people on that side, skills, fine, down pack. Everybody knows my story at this point. And they're like, come on, you got to do this. So what I did this time was my dad had a friend who was a lieutenant, another lieutenant, and we got access. Well, we actually rented a U-Haul, got access to the course, and I drove that course all night long into the night, overnight, for hours and hours and hours. And I, I'm telling you, I drove this U-Haul probably to the wheels fell off. So now I get into the EVOC portion of the academy and my third consecutive class, and I crushed it. I, my time was three minutes and 30 seconds by the time I was done with my, all of my repetitions. Um, so now I'm excited. The people in my class knew the story. They're excited for me. Everybody's excited for me. And the AVOC instructor who was running the testing just looks down at his, looks up from his clipboard, looks at me and goes, just so you know, speed kills and walks away. And I'm like, you know, you're trying to have your moment that you finally made it over this hurdle. And, and that's, that's what you have to say. Like after what you guys put me through over some petty nonsense, you know, over threat of feeling intimidated because someone visited their son, that was your response to somebody, you know, overcoming something like that. So that was my introduction into New York City EMS. And I will also add, I have seen, you know, other classmates that I had who had parents, you know, with that were also on this job or PD who would pass by one second and barely make it. And they weren't driving any better than I was, but I didn't have the stopwatch. So I, you know, I couldn't tell, but um, they were hitting cones just like I was, and they, you know, but Hey, they passed, you know, and I would fail by one second both times. So, you know, I guess they sent their message. And then once I overcame that obstacle, you know, they were still a little angry about it, I guess. So whatever. I brushed it off and celebrated and I graduated and I made it to the streets. So kudos. When I graduated out of the EMS Academy, um, you, you fill out a sheet of which locations you, you know, your dream sheet of your top choices of where you would like to work. Um, when I was coming up, coming out in that era, it wasn't it wasn't uncommon for half of a graduating class to be swept up into communications and go into the communications um, division, and that's exactly what happened with my class, top class ninety one oh three. It was the class I graduated out of. Um, shout out to everybody from ninety one oh three, and also ninety one oh one and ninety one oh two. Shout out to you guys too. Um, you know, so I graduate and I got assigned to Coney Island, um, Coney Island station. All right. Station 31 at the time. And my first partners I had were great guys. They were senior, you know, they had way more time on it, obviously than I did. Um, and I was, a, so how it worked is there were three partners assigned to a unit. When one was off, the other two worked together. We worked five days on two days off, five days on, three days off. So when I was off, the other two guys worked together. And, and you know, that's how you mixed it up. So it was always three partners made up in a, a, a unit, a crew. So the guys I worked with at Coney Island, they were great. Shout out to them. Um, 
but we used to sit. Now, I just graduated out of the EMS Academy. It's the summer of 91. It's scorching hot. I got sent to Coney Island because my father was working, I believe at that time, out of Kings County, which is where I wanted to go, but I couldn't go there. So Coney Island was my only other choice. Or the Bronx, Lincoln. They would they would sending people to Lincoln like crazy, too. So I got Coney Island. Summer 91 was the Crown Heights riots. So that was going on when I graduated. Um, so I'm sitting down. I'm listening to the PD scanner at work. I want to get into the action. All my friends that graduated that are working out of Kings County are in the middle. You know, they're calling me, oh, man, you know, it's, it's crazy, the riots. You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm in Coney Island sitting with these two guys under a tree in Marine Park because that's what, you know, old timers, they sit under a tree and they turn off the radio and they wait, you know, for them to be called and that's it. I wanted to, you know, buff jobs, jump on calls, but that didn't happen until I switched units and then I, I worked with a younger guy um, and I worked 31 Henry pre hashtag. It was 31 Henry and we sat on Stillwell and Surf which is where the Cyclone and where Nathan's is, in the middle of uh, Coney Island. And, yeah, things went from zero to 100 very rapidly. Um, it was very live out there. It, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, it was busy. It was, you know, you like trauma. You like all the drama. You like everything like that. It was all of that rolled up into one in just 99-degree temperatures. So now the summer's over. And I finally get my transfer. I put in my papers for transfer. I transfer to Coney, to Kings County, Station 33. I finally get there, and the first day at the station, the lieutenant doesn't look up at he doesn't look at me, looking down. That's doing what he's writing, whatever. Hey, good luck. You're working with Jason. Good luck. And that was it. So I'm like, well, who's this kid? Who's who am I working with? You know, and everybody's just like, oh man, good luck, and that was it. Okay, now I realized later he had a reputation for being reckless. He was fairly new, I guess, hothead, one of these hot-headed, you know, gung ho, running into trouble kind of partners. And I'm like, oh great, thanks. This is first day I walk into the station. That's the first thing that was said to me. Okay, so we get a job. And we pull up to the scene, and there's cops everywhere. This is a summer night again um, in Brooklyn, in Flatbush. Summer night, hot out, everybody's out. And, you know, it's just it's like daytime out there, except, except it's like 2 in the morning. Um, so we get there, and the police are holding a guy, like, in the yard of a, of a house, of an apartment, and there's a female smacking him in the face. And everybody's around just watching her slap this guy. So I guess that was a little street justice they were, you know, allowing to happen, whatever. But I see he's a little bloody and he's kind of wobbly and that there's a big gash in his back. So apparently the neighborhood took out this street justice. I don't know what he did, okay, but um, they didn't take kindly to it. They, And back then... The garbage cans were made out of steel or metal. So somebody hit him in the back with one of those metal garbage cans, and I guess that's how he got the gash in his back. So he's bloody. He's wobbly. Um, so I go get the stretcher, and then my partner is telling me, no, leave him alone. It's fine. The PD can walk him to the truck, you know, walk him to the ambulance. I'm like, I don't, I don't agree with this, but whatever. 
you, you know, you're a senior guy. Um, they start to walk him to the truck, and then under a street light is where our truck was parked. He gets to the ambulance, puts his hand up, and then he collapses against the truck, smears blood all over the side of the truck. He's unconscious. There's a ga- the gash is so wide you can see everything inside of his back, like probably down to the spine. It was, it was ridiculous, the gash. This guy is out now. Now everybody's scrambling, and I'm looking at my partner like, you see, idiot? Like, I told you, let's just get the stretcher. So now I'm pissed. We get to the hospital, because this guy's going out of his way to not do anything for the patient and just accommodate everything that, you know, was happening and what, what PD was allowing to happen, and I wasn't really a part, you know, into that. So we get to the hospital, and, and this was something weird that happened, and, and thinking about it, you see why. We get to the hospital, we're at Kings County at the trauma center, um, and then some officer comes up to me in the ambulance and knocks on the window. So I'm like, okay, what's up? Can I, you know, what's going on? He says, oh, he's with Eternal Affairs and he wants to know what, if I saw anything on that assignment that wasn't right. So, okay, I know I'm fairly new here, but I, I know for a fact that Internal Affairs is not going to show up um, 20 minutes after we get to the emergency room to find out if something, like, it doesn't work like that. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I didn't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, you know, so I didn't say anything about that. I, I think I did the right thing because I don't think that was Internal Affairs. Um, I think they were just trying to feel out what the pissed off guy was going to say or do. Um, eventually that partner got fired for being, you know, doing more reckless stuff. But, um, yeah, that was one of my initiations into station 33. But that is where I met one of my first mentors, um, the late, uh, Bill Monroe, who was, uh, my lieutenant, one of my lieutenants. Uh, we got really tight. He was definitely look out for me and, and give me advice and put me in the right direction. He would tell me what to look out for. And he, he you know, he was definitely a mentor. Um, I would run errands for him when he was working. Um, you know, he would send me, oh, go drop off some money at my house for my daughter or go to the store, bring me back a soda. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was great. He was a very, very good dude. Um, and then one night he died in a tragic car accident, actually driving home, um, from a birthday celebration, his birthday celebration. And that really hit me hard. Um, you know, I, I was kind of left numb from that, that day. I remember that night I got the call and I had to go to work. And that was like the first time I, I broke down and just crying uncontrollably that this happened. It was terrible. Um, so they sent the the CISM team, Critical Incident Stress Management Team, um, to the station to help us grieve because everybody loved this guy. Everybody loved Bill. Um, so I'm there. My eyes are red. I've been crying. Um, the guy from the CISM team is talking to me, and then he says to me, "Hey, man, you know I know you're hurting about Bill." But if he were here right now, he would want you to get back on that truck and get back to work. And I looked at the guy, you know, and I just shook my head. 
I went to my car and drove off. And I went home for the day. I'm like, are you kidding me? And and here's what made that worse to me was that about two weeks or so prior, the station dog had died. And um, one of the young ladies was upset about that. And um, they sent her home, you know. But my mentor died in a car accident, not from being old like the dog died, from, from a tragic, unexpected car accident. And they're like, get on that truck and go to work. So you wonder why sometimes I had a chip on my shoulder. You know, these things, these help, help to build you, I guess. To sum it all up, the time at Station 33 was priceless with experience, priceless people that I worked with, uh, priceless friendships, great times, and just, you know, stories that'll last forever, friendships that'll last forever, you know, and we've all gone through a lot of different things together. And, I, you know, like I said, rough start, but when I, I you know, ultimately, it was great. This is the Lights and Sirens podcast with your host, Bernie Robinson. If you would like to be a guest on the Lights and Sirens podcast, email us at lights911sirens at gmail.com.